Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me. Joined this week, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and Syria specialist and OTB producer Grail Hallett. No, Grail, you got mentioned twice there. Sam Griswold. Grail played so well in his day, guys, that you'd think there were two of them on the field. The fact that they've cloned me, Flynnny, is just amazing. Yeah, heartbreaking. All right, we're over the ball, the show where we talk about the world's game, but from an American perspective, what a radical concept. Uh, I know that many of you used to get your soccer news, your football news this way uh, as we queue up for the loo, as we're getting our hands on some bad bangers and mash. All right, that's enough of that. Today on OTB, we get caught up with our friend, our old friend, Greg Kenny, former uh, college and professional goalkeeper um, and now a goalkeeper coach. Greg is a, a bit of a, I don't know, what would you say, guys, a goalkeeping savant, a specialist. Eccentric, eccentric. A nut, a nut maybe, maybe. Uh, but uh, Greg always literally thinks outside the box, love to hear his views on things. Um, and so we always love having him on every couple of weeks just to check in with that large goalkeeping cranium that he has left. So uh, guys, lots to talk about today. MLS starts up on Friday, uh, yay. Uh, after a year of hell for all of us, uh, not just in sports, but in every aspect of everyone's life. Uh, our Champions League coverage continues. Kristen Pulisic, your Chelsea boy, our U.S. men's national team's pride and joy, getting whacked, fouled 11 times against Porto. Lots to talk about, guys. But before we do, what are you over today on Over the Ball? Grail, yeah, you up first. So, yeah, so on, on the heels of Weston McKenney having that dinner party or whatever we want to call yeah. it, uh, there were a bunch of Leicester players that chose to get together and uh, it's created uh, quite a lot of controversy over in England and, and with the Leicester fan base, because uh, there were like five players, including Wes Morgan, the captain who's injured, which was really surprising because it was predominantly younger guys. And then like Wes Morgan, the leader of the team decided to show up. And in any case, um, you know, it's just totally countered all the policies that are that exist in England, and uh, it's it's caused a huge uproar. And uh, you so, know, they, what exactly are you over with that? Article? Well, no, I'm just I'm just over players just making dumb decisions in this very right. challenging time, and everybody's having to suck it up. So, I just think players need to follow suit and just not do well, dumb things until this is behind us. Well, look, That's players. What I'm over. Players always do dumb things. They're just, well, yes, you know, players do dumb things. Now, the problem is society right now is doing dumb things because people are just sick of having to stay in. A lot of people never stayed in in the first place, which made this whole thing last longer. So, um, you know, the players are just a reflection of society, I think. So uh, everybody's over this, even though we shouldn't be. I said it last week. Uh, we're in the seventh inning. We're in the seventh inning stretch here. And uh, people are acting like it's a ninth <laughs> inning. And as I make these sports references through American sports oh terminology, yeah, I made it right up front and I'm going to make it all throughout the show. So, uh, so, all right, that's something to be over a party. You were known for being quite the party man yourself. Grail, uh, just, so, so you no, were the one. Had I been a professional athlete in COVID, I think I would have been smart enough to, not to do it. All right, Sam, what are you over today? Sam, yeah. UMass, our alumni, buddy. I got to say this before we even get to your thing that you're over. Uh, UMass uh, won the national championship in ice hockey. You guys are big ice hockey fans. I know yes. that as well. Uh, fifth And the UMass soccer team overcoming even greater odds than the hockey team are 15th in the country. 
underfunded. They got like two, three scholarships, and yet here they are beating some big teams. Okay, Sam, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, good stuff, though. Um, yeah, I, I'm over the CONCACAF Champions League not really being a big deal and sort of feeling like a weird preseason tune-up. I watched a little bit of the game last night, um, Philadelphia against Saprissa, which – I don't know. It just feels very much like an exhibition. And I think it is something that has a lot of potential. Um, you know, it's comes before the MLS season, so it's not great timing for MLS teams, but I mean, man, I recorded both champions league games yesterday and kind of skimmed them. And then to go from that to, you know, jumping over to this game, it was, I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't, yeah. I, I agree with that one, Sam. It's almost like watching some of those U S uh, women's national team games when they're just on a friendly tour, yeah. you know, playing Haiti or something. It's like, okay, great. What's this for exactly? Other than to keep people fit. I'm all for the idea. I just think it needs better execution. All right. So let's, let's talk a little champions league. Uh, Grail, you gotta be happy as a pig and you know what so your chelsea boys have uh have made it through to the semis it looks like yeah and, they made uh, it yeah they got a little dicey at the end there but they uh they, they did get through and now they face real madrid which should be a tasty semi-final i think they're beatable real madrid's beatable we can talk about liverpool's they're inability hot, they're they're unbeaten in their last 14 in all comps so i i feel I, like real madrid's actually peaking at the right time and i'm not sure when ramos comes back because that would be the next game is two weeks from yeah, yeah. So. I think he will be back. They've had a couple yeah. of injuries that they've been battling. Everybody's been battling injuries. I mean, this is something else we can talk about. But, um, you know, I, I think Real Madrid, uh, Liverpool probably blew six chances, six real goal goal chances. And just to think of the front three that Liverpool had and how efficient they were and how their goal scoring has gone down this year. Uh, it's just amazing this game we play. You know, you get in your head as a player. To, you know, places where they would finish, suddenly the ball's taking a bad hop, you're skying it. It's, uh, it's just well, bizarre. What do you think is going to happen with those front three? Well, so, so on that topic, there was an excellent article in The Athletic about Sadio Mane and how his season has just uh, yeah. been, been precipitously uh, bad versus – or gone down precipitously. So, he, so he's gone from 20, 20, 26, and 22 goals in the previous three years to 12 this season – he only has seven goals in 27 uh, Premier League matches between 20 and 21, and he has only three goals in his last 23 PL uh, Premier oh, League matches. So I'm not pinning it all on him, but to me, it's a microcosm of what's gone wrong with Liverpool. Everybody focuses on the back and losing Van Dyke, and then losing you know the other fullbacks for periods of time. Oh, Anderson Gomez in midfield, and, yeah. But the front Mapping. three, I mean, I mean, Salah, to be fair, has actually still had a good year and he has 18 Premier League goals this year and 27 mm -hmm. in all comps. But between Firmino and Sané, uh, a big, big dip in production. And that certainly affected their their uh, yeah. play this year. I mean, you had the feeling I had the feeling anyway, the last couple of years watching Liverpool that everything was working just perfectly exactly. it was like to right. steal a, another analogy from another sport. It was like a golf shot that, you know, hit off two trees and somehow landed on the green and went in. But um, I, I think they're finally sort of running up against what happens when it doesn't all go perfectly right. Um, but to back up a second to the Chelsea game, Greg, I thought, yeah. Kevin, you mentioned it was interesting that Pulisic got fouled 11 times in that game, which was the most, according to Paul Kennedy, 
identity at Soccer America that any player has been fouled in the Champions League since Messi in the 2011 semifinals against Real Madrid. And we've seen him get hacked playing for the U.S. certainly and targeted, but I don't know that it's really happened at the club level. So what was your takeaway, Grail? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like any sport, Sam, you know, in hockey, because you're a big hockey fan or in football, when the other team knows what part of you has been injured, they tend to go after it. So I, I didn't see anybody, you know, purposely trying to, you know, kick him in the hamstring or something. How do you but go at a hamstring? You, no, can, no, you, can't. You, you can't, but I'm just saying there's no doubt that other teams are uh, hip to the fact that Pulisic's injury prone. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to, you know, it was shades of, it kind of reminded me of like Maradona in like the nineties, the amount he was just taken down. I mean, it was just, it was very, well, you know, it, it, 11 I mean, fouls are, that's a lot of fouls in the game. Yeah, Right. I've committed that many, but haven't had that many committed against me. I think it was, it would so be I the think, difference. But, but Sam, I do think it's good that he's now played two consecutive 90 minute matches. And mm-hmm. so he's got to get, he's got to get into, you know, that fitness back to a hundred percent. And uh, you know, there's two goals that he scored uh, last weekend. Um, were very, you know, very aggressive. He was in the box. He's he also puts himself in positions that could lead to injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's but he's a dangerous player. He's all he's forward. Very I, I dangerous love it. Player. Yeah. Um, and we've always talked about, you know, body wise, he's just a little thin. So I want to actually go back to the to Liverpool. Make a point on that. You know, yeah. it, it seems like everybody did talk about uh, Van Dyke and Gomez and Mapti. You know, getting injured and how's that's affected yeah. Liverpool. Uh, you know, keeping balls out of the net, but. I feel that the, the the three magical forwards that they have in Liverpool have been so good, but they seem to be having to do so much work. Mane, every time he works really hard off the ball and on the ball, um, he has to create so much. It's not like these guys are finishing uh, great chances that have been presented to them. They're, they're really having to work for them. And I think part of that comes from just um, Firmino being a little off. And so yeah. the services aren't so great. Salah seems to do his thing out wide. Uh, you know, when he gets his chances all the time, Mane, you know, is, is hungry, but um, they're just not getting the chances that they had. Now, talking to the guys yesterday in Champions League, they were saying that, you know, hey, five years together, I think they are, the three of them, yeah. what, four years yeah. maybe together? Yeah. That, that could be, it's run its uh, shelf life there. Well, the, well. The, this is the question, guys, is does is the philosophy that they wait till that to the guys that are injured to come back and try to make a run at it again with the team that existed, or do they proactively, you know, does Jota become a more of a regular player because he was scoring boat boatloads of goals until he got injured. Yeah. And then, and then one of those guys has to sit or they have to move one of those guys. And do you do that proactively or do you wait and try to kind of recreate lightning in a bottle. It's a big decision I, they got to make. I, I think he'll bring in a striker, yeah. but uh, who, you know, more of a, a sort of a target man. Because, yeah. you know, Firmino plays so so deep for basically a, a striker like that. And I love what he does on the ball. It just doesn't seem to be as effective this year. They don't seem to be as dangerous. And they're just not finishing those those chances that they had yesterday. That's what I was saying about Real yeah. Madrid, Gra- uh, Grail. It was, um, you well, know, there were goal, opportunities. So. Their goal production is way down. And the fact that yeah. they went into that tie down 3-1 at Anfield and they couldn't even muster a goal was right. extraordinary. I mean, yeah. we were spo- we were spoiled by that amazing comeback they had against Barcelona, right? So, so okay, you know, so and I, I, we have a lot to get to because I want to talk MLS. Um, but you, you know, you talk about Pep's player management all the time, Grail. I, you know, I find that a Klopp or a, a Pep 
they have resources. Uh, they have a really mm-hmm. deep bench. So the decisions they're making to rest De Bruyne and, and Foden, you know, it's like they have that ability. Now you, you talk about another team, you know, you know, Southampton or something. They don't really have the, the depth of the bench. So I don't think it's such a great uh, oh. feather in the cap for their, their player management. I mean, you know. He, he has the luxury of doing things that a lot of other teams can't do. However, right. it is still a big deal when you rest six of your best players. And I can tell you what, that, uh, you know, when NBA players get rested, you know, in marquee matchups on national TV, the league goes nuts. So I can tell you that from a, from a TV standpoint, it's not a great thing for NBC sports network when they're featuring a man city game and seven of their best players aren't playing. But again, that's not Pep's concern. He look, it worked out because he rested his key players and they came back and now they've advanced the semifinals. They all played yesterday. Right. So you're, everybody's happy. Yeah. So it's a good, but I do think it's, I I do think it's it's a, it's a tricky proposition keeping everybody happy. And, you know, the fan base is like, why the hell did you trot out a less than good team? You know? All right. So, um, you're talking about the television viewing public there, MLS, they've gotten some new sponsorships, uh, their, their deal, their television deal almost up. Are they looking up that grail? Well, they've, I think at the end of 22, um, it, it's yeah. up and they're obviously looking for a bigger deal, but honestly, who isn't when they're uh, trading up and it's, you know, it's just going right. to be about demand and ratings. I mean, if, so, if, they, if they can't, if they can't drive a rating, they're going to get a deal commensurate with the rating they can drive. The well, rating. look that, and that, look that says that is right along the lines of what I'm saying about women's soccer, um, yeah. right? You got to get the viewership, and if you don't have it, there's no money there. Right. Um, and we can we can talk about the women's national team and their beef with U.S. soccer, which again we're behind them on uh, you know equal everything except how can they take FIFA money if the money from the men's is so much larger than the, than the women's yeah, and, just and, a reality. And MLS just, you know, they want to get away from this model where they're driving most of their revenue from gate receipts. Most of the other right. sports, you know, the, the NFL just did a $110 billion deal. Their TV money pays for everything. If you, Sam mm-hmm. and I went to a giants game, it wouldn't be the end of the world for the Giants. If that was it, right. they'd be fine because they make so much money from the TV contract and obviously MLS wants a little bit more of that. And, it's and that's, a, be- that's an argument to make the ticket yeah. prices cheaper. My God. So yeah. the, on the this, I, are- yeah, on this, I think looking ahead to the MLS season, it's going to be really interesting to see. I know some stadiums are going to be open at 50% capacity right away, which is obviously far ahead of where any other sport is. And I think MLS really has to be because they rely so much on the gate receipts. Yeah. So I think the way MLS goes this year is really going to set the tone for how other sports and other leagues get people back in the stands. Wow. But uh, the, the other question I have to ask though, is, you know, when you look at some of the numbers like NBC paying 200 million a year for premier league rights and mm-hmm. you know, the millions, I mean, it's exaggeration, but the many streaming services with games, I mean, are there just not too many soccer games on TV for MLS really to get a foothold in the television market here? It's competitive, Sam. I mean, they've got to, they've just got to figure out a way. The product's got to continue to get better. You know, the, the better the product is, the more people are going to watch, you know? Yeah. So I just feel like they've got to keep improving the product. And I think they've consistently been doing that, but you're right. It's a, it's an incredibly crowded landscape 
put us out just soccer. Think about all the other sports that people watch in this country. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you say there's, you know, there's, there's never enough soccer. I think most of us like, if you know, from who are a bit older, remember no soccer. So uh, there can never be too much soccer. It's like, you know, beer can never be too cold. So, uh, all right. So El Clasico this weekend, you guys watch the game, bit of a snoozer. Yeah. I thought the most exciting thing was the monsoon that came in. Yeah. This rainstorm came in and it was like for for like I think 60 minutes of the game or something. It was just absolutely torrential rain. Oh. I was actually just curious. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what's the worst weather you guys ever played in at, like in a, a game, like a college game or a pro game or everything whatever. like that? But I look at guys. I, I mean, you know, Sam, we we're playing up at UMass. It's like the weather was it was freezing. This rock uh, solid hard field and the worst you know. I played in was uh, was in Italy because most of the fields you play on there not anymore. Now they've gone to the artificial turf, but you're both basically playing on dirt ninety yeah. percent of the time because you know ten different teams use the same field and. You know, when that would freeze in the winter, it was just brutal. I mean, you're playing on like solid ice, basically. Yeah. I, I played in a game in North Adams up in Massachusetts in college, and it was raining so hard. And of course, we didn't wear shin pads back then that my socks went over my boots. <laughs> so I was running around with so socks. My socks were my boots at that point. And just remember, the entire field was a puddle. And you guys know what it's like trying to kick a ball out of a puddle. Well, it's, it's a lot of fun it, to play that a, way sometimes. It's, it's I miss it, but though. right, yeah. but it, yeah, puddle just stops it. So um, yeah, so it was it, it was not a great El Clasico. And the other thing I'll just say quickly is uh, Ronald Coleman decided inexplicably to change his lineup and formation when they'd gone like 19 games unbeaten, and it was just it was too clever by half. It just didn't work. And I was like, what are you doing? in the game of this. So import. I thought, yeah, I, I've not seen Barcelona play much yeah. this year. Um, and it was hard for me to tell whether they were really playing a three, five, two or a three, four, three. It was a little shape shifting, but uh, yeah. I really, I like Dest on that right side. You know, yes. he's not really playing fullback. He's almost right midfielder or wingback, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And yeah. I really think the U S should go to a three center back system because we, we don't have any like attacking wingers really, you know, our mm -hmm. wing players in Pulisic and rain are better when they're cutting inside. I think to get the width from someone like Dest would be really good. And I also think, I don't think we're good enough defensively to really have the fullbacks going forward and rely on just two. Well, and Dest, backs, yeah. So. Like to your point, Sam, Dest doesn't have to worry about defending as much. He can, just, yeah. he can go. Didn't yeah. uh, Burhalter do that in one? Yeah, of the no. Families? The, the yeah, last couple it. of games, he tried yeah. it out, and I think you know. I mean, I think he should have a few formations up his sleeve, but I think this one could work really well for the team they have. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Dest has really kind of come into his own. It's been nice to watch. I mean, Americans are actually having an impact on Champions League. It's it's wonderful. Um, the U.S. Women's National Team. We mentioned them a little earlier, and uh, you know, we get some heat for saying that Amanda the women's game and definitely not. Uh, if you want to support us women's soccer, go to the games. They need yeah. to get people to go to the games. But again, I think, um, you know, I got to harp on this, the disinformation that, that that's coming out of that camp. It's unfortunate, but, but it was, a, it was also just a weird week for women's soccer Flinny, because they decided to start that challenge cup for the end USL at the same time that they did the international window, which right. was just poor planning. So you had a bunch of the players like Alex Morgan that were off, you know, playing against France and Sweden. And then you had, you know, so you had like a lot of your star players not available to start the new season, which again, just seemed like poor planning. Just wait, just wait till the following weeks. So they come back and play. And, um, 
Yeah, again, they. I, I, I a draw with Sweden, though. Huh? I, no, I was delighted. I mean, you know me. I hate the powder puff competition. I was delighted to see Sweden. You know, it was one all. They actually they gifted the U.S. a penalty in the 87th minute on a foul outside of the box. But again, no VAR for reasons that are beyond me. And then uh, and then they did take care of uh, France in the next game. Um, I think it was uh, two two one uh, two nil. So anyway. Uh, you know, they're playing better competition, but it's good because now you're starting to realize that, you know, they're not, they're going to have some competition in the Olympics. It's not just going to be. Right. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're getting more and more parity. I mean, this is the thing. They're, they're the best funded uh, team in the world. But, ta- but tactically, keeps- guys, I'm curious what you think. Tactically, do you make the shift and start getting some of the younger players now? Or does uh, Andonovsky ride the current wave of kind of the, the elderly players through the Olympics and, you know, one last shot for the Rapinos and the Lloyds and the people like that, and then wait for the next world cup. I'd go with Stengel. newbies. I would go with newbies. Okay. I don't know, Sam, what you think, but uh, I think especially with when you're talking the Olympics uh, for sure, cause you gotta, you gotta bring in the new uh, and sort of dovetail it in with, with weeding out the old. So yeah, I'd like and, to see a few new faces. I don't think, yeah. you know, the Olympics is a big deal for women's soccer. Um, so, I, but I, don't think it's quite at the level of the world cup. So I think you right. have to, you have to acknowledge that and sort of prepare for the next. But the expectation, four. Sam, is that they're going to win gold. And I just feel like anything short of gold is going to be a massive disappointment. Yeah, I mean, but isn't, Julie, isn't that, don't yeah. you think that's legit? I mean, as far oh, as. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, do, I do think it's legit based on their, you know, rankings in the world, but I'm just saying that's a lot of pressure and they succumb to that pressure in the last Olympics. Let me ask you this grail. Cause it's sort of a, a you know, a financial question. Uh, so they have guaranteed contracts on the women's team that the men's team do not have. Right. How does that affect the coaching decisions that he has to make with the players? Could, does he, are his hands tied on who he can cut or pull on the squad? No, but I, I mentioned this to Mike Waitala one time when he was on with us, and I he was a little, I think he was a little pissed off at me when I suggested that there's a lot of pressure on U.S. soccer to play Megan Rapino, and I think there is pressure to play her because she sells jerseys, and there are more things that go into decisions than just who's playing the best. And plus, Megan Rapino is the spokesperson for this equal pay cause. So yeah. I just feel like Megan Rapinoe has to has to be picked and has to play. Yeah, and you know, along those lines, uh, because she was so outspoken during the World Cup, she actually won, I think, the player of the of the tournament, right? And I think yeah. I, I I saw two or three American players that I thought had a better performance. Is Rose LaBelle, obviously one of them, but uh, so obviously being that mouthpiece ascended her reputation and um i think that's part of the reason she she won what she won sort of a politically correct decision in a way though but yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see is it going to be carly lloyd morgan or macarino you know the new phenom playing the number nine spot and uh you know well well lloyd didn't even play in the last world cup that much she wasn't very happy about it and i'm surprised um a new coach i guess a new opportunity but uh, i think if she does not play this is why you get rid of older players sometimes because if they are not impactful and starting, they can be a real uh, bad thing on your bench sitting there, you know, uh, muttering under their breath. So the, and the two sides do seem to still be very far apart, you know, U S soccer and the U S women's national team in terms of a financial agreement, um, some kind of compensation, a settlement, they seem to still be really far apart. 
Well, again, it's, I think one, one camp is coming from title nine mentality yeah. where you're in a professional sport, you know, again, with my interview with Carly Lloyd, it was, uh, should the women's WNBA make what the NBA players, I know you guys are sick of me saying that, but should the WNBA make what the NBA players are making? And she says, absolutely. I mean, that is way off. And then if you look at from the U S soccer's point of view, FIFA is awarding a certain amount of money for the men's tournament. And as popular as the men's game is all around the world, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, the women's World Cup tournament, yeah. which is popular. We love it here, but it's not at the level that the men's is. And now you're talking about NBC and the rights that they paid for the EPL and the rights that are paid for MLS. Why is there such a disparity in the amount of money? Because the amount of eyeballs that are on those television sets. So not only so you have that uh, people aren't watching. On television, yeah. and then and then the FIFA disparity with the money for the men's tournament and the women's tournament. So I, I, th- yeah, I, I think mean, I mean, the only way you could have total parity is if the men's and World Cup, men's and women's World Cups happen together as one event. Right, right. And then you could legitimately say it's going to be an equal share, but you have two separate events. I mean, that's why Wimbledon works, where it's equal prize money because it's the same tournament, and you right. got a men's side and a women's side, and they make the same amount of money for winning that title. It can't work the way it works with the World Cup. Right. All right. Yeah. So uh, we always get in trouble with the with that one. But it's just seems no. We like, want them to make more money. We want. I know. Them and make, well, I want know, them with equal pay. But look again. I always refer back to my professional career. I could not ask for any money because nobody was in the stands and we had no TV contract. So right. that's that's part of it. And there's no you know you, people don't do things because it's do the right thing. It's right and it's it's like no man money. It's all about money. But you so. did get very tight shorts, funny. So you have I to, did. Well, that was, to, that was a, a mullet <laughs> and a tight shorts was the way to go back then. Hey, Sam, quickly, uh, before we get to Greg Kenny, um, Syria, ah, what's your wrap up on that? What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, we haven't talked about Serie A in a while. Um, essentially, Inter have wrapped up the, uh, the title. Which we apologize for, there. by the way. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Sam. Well, there hasn't been that much to say, really. Um, it's been kind of a, for for finally having Juventus' nine-year streak of titles broken. It's been kind of a boring year because Inter are going to win by, you know, double-digit points in the end. Um, There's been a really good debate going on about, you know, whether or not people should be really impressed by the season that they're having or just sort of bored to tears by it because this is a Conte team that plays very defensive, lets the other team have the ball, and is fantastic on the counterattack, very efficient. Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez are having incredible seasons up top. And it's hard to deny that they're very impressive um, and very efficient, but it's not necessarily the most entertaining game uh-huh. in the world. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember Antonio Cassano, a famous Italian player who yeah. maybe the most skilled Italian player of the last you know 25 years, who very famously you know, had cakes snuck into his hotel room when he was at Real Madrid. So he had, he had other interests, but, uh, you know, he's been saying cakes. cakes? Yeah. Because he he was supposed to be on a a diet and he was having, you know, cakes and like Nutella brought snuck into his hotel room and everything. Sugar high. Probably. That was a problem for women. (laughs) Yeah. I think there may have been some of that too, but, uh, but anyway, he, he's been very outspoken about it saying if he were playing on the team, he'd asked to be, you know, traded essentially. And, uh, 
Oh, because it's so uninspiring. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's pretty uninspiring. It reminds me of the debate around the France team in World Cup uh, in 2018, which was like, here you have this stacked team with incredible talent, and they're sort of playing a defensive, Mm -hmm. you know, not not that interesting game. But think about Brazil. Brazil always had that as well. They'd win, but if if they won with in not in an entertaining fashion, that the fans would be pissed. And this is why we love Brazilian soccer. I mean, Sam, let's go right to let's go right to your home home away from home italy i mean italy it played the most defensive minded style in world cups going back to the beginning of the world cup yeah well i mean i, I what i yeah. applaud conte for is saying yeah. like i just want to win you yeah know? and I, too many teams for me nowadays are focused on getting fans in china and not right. on actually winning games oh, so I, yeah. i'm all for that and playing on players are moving around too. So they want to uh, kind of showcase their wares, but you know, they, to, to go to the other extreme is a, you have a Neymar who every time he touches the ball, it's exciting. He's going to, but I, I don't know if it's, it's always uh, useful um, in the buildup or whatever he does there sometimes, you but know, what? I'm, great I'm player so and entertaining. Exci- yeah. I'm so not excited by Neymar on it anymore because his, his antics is rolling around I think he's cut down on that a little bit. He, he did. I, look, I watched that. I watched that match against Byron, and he was still yeah. doing it. And then apologize, you know, rolling around, and then getting up and apologizing to the player that he rolled around on. You know, kind of like, oh, yeah. I didn't really. You know, he, there's still too much of that for me. All right. Hey, and one more thing before we get to Greg. Um, I thought of you, Sam, because the the offsides calls, how confusing it's gotten. There used to not be some confusion. You'd have to explain the offside rules to people, and it would I'd get a little tongue-tied, I gotta admit, you know, two players, but you know, all that. But uh semi-automated offsides calls may soon be coming. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I I'm excited for this. This is Wenger has, you know, trotted this out as maybe being ready by the next World Cup, where somehow some technology is going to measure where everyone is on the pitch at every moment and basically tell the linesman almost instantly if a player was offsides. Uh, I, I like it. What I think people don't realize is it's going to change the game a lot because there are so many offsides that don't get called nowadays because, you know, the ball goes through and it gets to the goalie and they let it play on or mm-hmm. they let the play play out. And then if they don't score, they just let the game go on. I think the amount of offsides calls will increase uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and I think I that'll like be that. a real change. I think, well, I think you're going to see forwards, not sort you're of living more, on more careful. Yeah. Not living on the back shoulder as much as they do now. All right. Well, good stuff, guys. We've covered a lot here today because there's a lot to cover in the world of soccer. Um, so uh, we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we talk to uh, a guy who always thinks outside of the goalkeeping box, Mr. Greg Kenny. You're listening to over the ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, a standout college keeper in his day, which was a few days ago, to say the least. My roommate for one crazy summer in Colorado Springs with the Olympic Development Team. Our next guest, a man, he's not only known for his crazy ideas, but for working as hard in the pub, chasing women on the U.S. diving team, as hard as he worked on the pitch. Welcome to Over the Ball, Mr. Greg Canny. Greg, how are you? Very good, Kevin. Great to see you. You remember? Who else you got to with me? 
I got Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold here. So uh, you're hey, Greg. You're like um, you know, we're doing this. We're doing this via Zoom, and uh, you're in a car on your phone, and so the sound is a little patchy. But uh, but we like your ideas. We like talking to you each week. So we wanted to have a goalkeeper on, and you're our goalkeeper of choice. So uh, quick question for you, Greg. First of all, yeah. Uh, um, what were you thinking? No. Uh, so with goalkeepers, we and we've talked about this before. What are the ramifications? What are the implications? And, and sort of what is the reasoning behind goalkeepers needing to play out of the back? Are you in agreement with this? Well, I think you got a, a big thing going on with now that you're allowed to play. Um, you're allowed to play goal goal kicks inside the penalty area. Right. That That's really going to change the way you play. And I don't think people think about it. They think that, oh, the goalkeeper's just going to play it and roll it to the outside back. Well, the problem is... Now the second pass comes to the goalkeeper. I would do it the other way around. I would let the defender make the first pass to the goalkeeper, knowing that he's got 14 yards of space. So then he walks up the field and makes the first pass to a good player. As, yeah, but not if not if uh, not if someone is you know someone could a, a defender can get into the box now with, before he couldn't right. So you, that no, but he can't come in. Until the, he can't get in the box, but once the, it's played. Yes, but I would rather get the first pass knowing the guy's 14 yards away. I don't want to get the second pass when the guy's four yards away. Sam, so Grail, I, you guys figure, you know. What well, uh, so wait, so let's clarify here, Greg. So yes. what you're saying is you want the defender playing the first pass out versus the keeper playing the first pass out. Is that exactly. correct? So they, Correct. so I, I've seen this a bunch actually in, in Italy in Serie A, they do this where the defender just steps on the ball and just rolls it backwards from the six yard box to the goalie. And essentially you start just live with the goalie there. with his foot on the ball. Yeah. Yes. Because I, I now, and even as a gifted, skillful player as I was, the last <laughs> thing I want is anyone I don't know near me when I have the ball. So, right. especially at my feet. So my feet would be exactly that. Clearly, the Italians have stolen my idea already. But play the first ball to the goalkeeper. He's got 12 yards of space. He walks towards the first guy who wants to run at him. And if you if, if you don't have – if 12 yards of space is not enough time to play, then you shouldn't be playing. Right. I and mean, that's miles <laughs> time. So oh, well, but those goalkeepers get jittery, man. Those goalkeepers get jittery with the ball at their feet sometimes. <laughs> You can see it. They're like quarterbacks with their. Or, or they try the Cruyff move. They try something just insane oh. where they actually try to beat a guy. I'm like, what is that? Well, it's right. Well, this is uh, this is just. I used to play five v two, and I was a dominant five v two player. Oh, listen to because him. I played different. <laughs> All right. right. What I would do is I would not try and stay out of the middle. I would make sure if I receive the ball, the guy next to me who got it was unable to pass it back to me. Oh. So I had masked ball that was about seven to nine inches high at your plant foot. So it would arrive at your shit pretty much not real hard, but just high enough so that you'd have to go the other way with it. Therefore, I would not be in trouble of the ball coming right back. Oh, it's all about you. See, this is what I'm oh saying. Oh, my about God. It is so <laughs> selfish. It's all about the goalkeeper. And I think the say hospital ball. I would say well, this a hospital because it was just slow enough. That uh, it, okay, semi-hospital. Semi you know, they talk about they talk about Beckenbauer uh 5e2 with the cosmos. He never went in the middle. 
the one-footed <laughs> left hand or left-footed Beckenbauer never went in the middle. Uh, you obviously thrived in the middle, Greg. So, and then uh, you had a, a, a pissed-off teammate with you next door, uh, <laughs> trying to chase balls down, playing monkey in the middle. Um, I, I always yes. found that, like when goalkeepers kind of came out onto the field and scrimmaged with us, you know, which was rare, but when a player mm -hmm. goalkeepers did not react like a normal player does they you know you'd oh. drop a shoulder or something they would just stand there and then when you reversed back you'd run right into them you're dead you're absolutely correct that's why we we talked about it before everyone's saying oh the goalkeepers have good feet now they have good feet amongst goalkeepers there's some right. goalkeepers who have better feet than other bad goalkeepers you know and right. and, and we see it all the time you hit it spot on is we don't even know what the fake is. I'm not even looking at a fake. I'm just looking at the ball when I come out at you. And if the ball doesn't move, I'm, I'm generally going to hold my ground. But in the field, there's m way more nuances to it. And mm -hmm. the goalkeeper, it's oblivious, you know. I, I promise you, there's no team in the world that they're saying, hey, we're going to play small side to small goals. And the first guy they pick is the goalkeeper. It's no, just no, not happening. last. Well, you know, that's funny. This is a funny point, guys, you, you brought up um, that the goalkeeper always does try a Cruyff. Which, oh, yeah. which is so funny to me because field players rarely try a Cruyff when there's pressure on them. Never mind a goalkeeper when they're the last line of defense with the ball. Guy is a, a, a lightning fast center forward is coming at your feet and you pull a Cruyff. It's like, oh my. <laughs> and it, it, it works about 50% of the time. The other 50% goal. <laughs> so, go ahead, Grail. Yeah, uh, Greg, Greg, always a pleasure to have you. So, um, I was just curious if you noticed, uh, and again, this is a focus group of one, um, yeah. that uh, near post goals seem to be on the upswing. It, it, as, as talented as the new breed of keepers are, I just mm -hmm. feel like the near post used to be sacrosanct. The keeper could never, ever, ever give up the near post. It was the scarlet letter if you let a goal in at the near post. And now it seems there are more go goals going in at the near post. What are your thoughts? Scarlet My letter. First of all, first of all, you're talking to Greg Kenny. Easy with the literary references. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Please. My God. He's, he's like me, the state school boy. <laughs> go ahead, Greg. Okay. So, well, a couple of things. Kevin, do you happen to have a protractor and a uh, thesaurus there? Because it's all math. All right. You the, can't. Thesaurus has nothing to do with math, my friend. No, I need words. a <laughs> <laughs> What's another word for thesaurus? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so here's the issue. You can't get, if the ball is shot to the near post, it takes a, it's a shorter amount of time before it gets to the goal. You have to block it with two hands. If the ball is shot to the back post, you actually can dive backwards a little bit and now deflect it. You have whatever the width of the goal, at least to tip the ball wide. Mm -hmm. So a couple things one is you need to sit strong at the near post knowing if they hammer it you're going to have to deal with it with two two strong hands whereas if they hit it to the back post you can get a fingertip on it and that slight change in trajectory over eight yards will allow it to go wide so you just mathematically should stay near to the closer to the near post the other is as you said it's brutal to get scored on the on the near post because the defense can help someone's hustling back if the person tried to cross it you could cut it out so i am a big advocate i i exaggerated the near post i would stand there and say you are not shooting at the near post you are going to try you are going to try and beat me to the back post or play the ball across the ground and most players will look up and see the goalkeeper that close to at least i found until yeah. we you play at higher levels they would see you 
protecting it that well. And then they would give you a clue that they were going to here hit it wide, hit it to the back post or cross it. And then you could move off your line. It's like uh, stealing a base. If, if the, the best base stealers do not have the biggest lead, they know where they're going. They know they can get back to first base easily. So they're explosive to second base. Right. And that's how I felt play goal you should take away the near post you're not going to score at the near post and then as soon as that as soon as you get a cue of where it's going to go you're going to head the other direction you're going to go you know know something guys i I just got to say this because look we talk about the the coverage you uh you know the coverage here in the united states never any americans in the booth fox did a little bit with Stu holden and and uh, rob stone and alexi but the reference that greg just made to an american sport that translates to soccer and americans knowledge of sports is something that's missing in the media so i know i'm jumping off on a wild you know thing here but but basically that you know a lot of times you can make i try to make a baseball analogy or a basketball analogy and i know when i was at sirius xm or, or a football analogy they would get all bent out of shape about that and i said we're all products of an american sports you know programs here and, and it obviously translates plus rebecca lowe didn't know who will chamberlain was all right so just, uh, so just a quick follow-up on on your yeah. answer greg i'm all you know on a related matter i'm noticing a lot as players are right-footed players are cutting in from the left side they're shooting mm-hmm. against the grain, which is technically going near post. And whereas traditionally they used to shoot to the far post and kind of bend it away from the keeper. They're actually cut shooting against the grain and catching the keeper leaning. Am I imagining that? Or are you seeing that too? You're onto something. It's interesting because if you, let's say, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put you in the center of the goal. You're 20 yards yeah. out. If you, and we'll say you take it with your, with your right foot. Okay, and you hook it to the goalkeeper's left. All right, mm-hmm. that ball when it leaves your foot looks like it's going to be very far away. So a trained goalkeeper is going to take a very large step that way, and it's actually an easier ball to save because it gets closer to you. Mm-hmm. If you hit that same shot now to the other post, okay, now the the trajectory of the ball to start is coming directly at me. So I will take a smaller step thinking I don't have as much ground to cover. And now the ball starts moving away. I always hated a shot that was a a cutting ball that was ripped at me and went and moved away as Mm -hmm. compared to hooking shot that got closer. So, and again, that's, yeah. And I, and that stuff happens in my mind in like quarter milliseconds, but yeah, yeah. That that's large cranium of yours. So I love how I just went on a media rant and you guys didn't even acknowledge it. You just went back to the real question. I know I'm so used to it. I I just, I just tune it out. (laughs) I know you and everybody else apparently. So uh, great point though, Kevin. What's that? What's that, Greg? Something, uh, Kevin. Uh, like on that point, there. Remember the ball. The, it was uh, Ronaldo hit a shot. I can't even remember what it was, but he he crippled the ball in in one of the in one of the games, and it the goalkeeper fought with it and it scored. Okay, and it looked like it was straight at him. Right. But the ball was hit. Um, it was hit so hard, and then no one even mentioned the ball went when it went past the. Def- defender at the penalty spot it was at his knee when it got to the goalkeeper it skipped and the ball did not spin a full rotation did not rotate at all and that was that would be a perfect example to say the reason the goalkeeper struggled with that ball is because it was a knuckleball 
Because people are like, what was so hard about that shot? Got six inches away. I said it moved like 14 times. It was going about 70 miles an hour. And you had no idea where it was going. So yeah, I like those analogies. And this would be this would be a Phil Phil Negro reference. And then Rebecca Lowe would say, and now who's Phil Negro? Did he play in the midfield for Everton? No, but we all grew up with Phil Negro. So um the good stuff. Uh, it's it's true. So uh, you know, look, I, I love this talking to goalkeepers because they definitely um, they definitely you guys think of things in a different way. Uh, Sam, yeah. I got a question for uh, the great Greg Kenny. Yeah, uh, backing up just a little bit, Greg, to the, uh, yes. the you know the goal kicks inside the box. Keepers playing more with their feet now. Are there any stats or data out there that have actually quantified whether or not that helps your team in any way, or is it more of like an aesthetic appeal that people are looking for with that? Do you think? Well, I, I don't know where the, the, uh, Sam, where the, where the initiative started, but I think it's wonderful. I do. I coach a lot of youth soccer and to watch balls kicked in the air and you have a bunch of donkeys who don't know how to head it on anyhow and they it ends up getting kicked around at least this way you start with the soccer game not with a fist fight mm-hmm. um i think it improves the quality of the game you reward kids who know how to play at the top level um you know you can still drive it long if you want so i think it, i think it's a great rule change i don't know statistically if, if, if it's if it skewed this um possession to make the possession seem more important but i i think it's a great rule change all right, so so here's the thing. A uh, yeah. couple of things that you know, I've been talking to you for a long time when we were at Sirius XM and FC, yeah. and when we were at ESPN. But well, you know, you predicted the uh, the lines that were sprayed on the field. You know, for the ten yards before you know before it was really you wanted the bag to drop a bag and you couldn't go past the bag. So obviously, the spray was a better idea on the Greg yeah. Kenny idea, a better stint. Yeah. Are there any other rules or uh, sort of misnomers about goalkeeping that you think are going to change or rules that you'd like to see changed? Well, I don't know if there's any, you know, and again, the, I just think of the, and, and selfishly, um, I would like the goal bigger at the, at the upper levels because you'd still use the same tactics to score. Oh, Grail's head know, just exploded. I know. I actually feel it undulating. It's a big end to begin with. Oh my God. Yeah. So that, that rule I think would allow you to not only see more scoring, but would also allow you to see the spectacular capacities that these goalkeepers have. And that, um, and that the field players have, I mean, you know, cause you, you got to beat guys, you know, here you got the defender chasing you, you got to beat two guys and then you got to, uh, you know, hit it near post or roof it to the goalkeeper. It's amazing. Yeah. So I think that would be in terms of the game. I think it's a, I think it's a, a beautiful game in terms of how it's played. The, the, I would use the VAR differently. I would, I would have players who dive and you can look at it from four camera angles and say, there's clearly no touch. The person was not touched and that, and that player would face an ejection the following week. Don't stop the game. Don't do anything like that. But so your top player dives and you win a game on a penalty. I don't want it to stop and spend and waste 20 minutes, but then during the week you get a video and it shows, here's the four angles. Um, this player, uh, X, I like that. Get I touched. Yeah. Done. I've been Done. talking about that for a long time. Game, you could, yeah. You could call it down. Yeah. We're doing this thing. We're going back and forth yeah. here. Right? Um, I've been a, you know, like, look, cause some guys dive and it's just embarrassing. It's not good for the game itself. I like that sort of, 
retroactively, not not retroactively, but punitively make, you know, some some punishment there for, no, you, you weren't even touched. And if all of them agree on it, look, sometimes it doesn't look like the players hit and then you see it in slow motion and it's just a nick, but all of us have been on the end of that nick yeah. sometimes. And it's, yes. uh, you know, it's quite painful. A, a, you know, a boot comes into the back of your calf or, or something. It's like, it just grazed it, but it it's killer. So, but I would mm-hmm. like that because uh, it's changed the way I think, uh, players have played already without any punishment after the fact. But I think after the fact, really, yeah, you can't play in the next game. You, you've been red carded uh, because of, uh, you know, faking an injury or faking something, you know. I think there was a there was a penalty call that the guy wasn't even uh, hit, I think, in the Champions League. I, I don't know, remember which uh, one. But uh, Sam, you have another question? Yeah, uh, speaking of rule changes and, you know, tactic strategies etc this one involves uh, actually taking a goalie out of the play but i'm wondering if like in hockey a soccer mm-hmm. team has ever pulled their goalie late in a game and inserted an 11th field player when they're chasing a goal uh and if that would even be legal well i i don't see there's the any i mean i wouldn't so you're saying take the goalkeeper off and put a legitimate field player in the goal yeah for the last four or five minutes of a game when you're chasing a goal yeah, you know what? I think at that point, generally the goalkeepers at the top level can drive an in-step drive far enough to um, to solve that problem. Um, so I don't know if I would make that risk. Um, well, you look, and- look, I think, guys, it seems to me that, yes, you put a field player in, but he puts the goalkeeper jersey on because why would you take a player – why would you take the – you'd be able to – one player being able to use his hands – out of the equation, you, you, you know, you, you put the goalkeeper shirt on a, on a field player and just send him out in his way. And that's happened all the time. I think yeah. um, I, I've been the keeper in that situation and uh, not grail because you chip over his head, but <laughs> most, most other players, you know, can go out into the field. Well played. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Grail, you want to follow up? Yes. Uh, I want to shift to the women's game for a minute, Greg. Okay. Um, women's national team. Um, Alyssa Nair, the keeper for the women's national team, sees virtually no action in any game she plays. Mm-hmm. Should I be as nervous as I am that when she is called upon, as she was in the Sweden game, she came ranging out on a cross, which led to a goal. She doesn't look comfortable on crosses. Should I be concerned that her lack of um, just work in a given game could end up biting the team in the you-know-what come uh, Olympics or World Cup? In the you know what? Well, he meant ass, by the yes, way. Yes, I did. I was trying what. to keep it clean for OTB. All right. Good. That is a, a, a great question because some of the – that is one of the hardest things to do is to stand there and do nothing. And then you're called on to, um, to make a special play. Part of it is some goalkeepers do not know how – younger goalkeepers do not know how to stay warm while the game gets away from them. So they actually physically are not ready to play. Others start visualizing that they're able to go solve all these problems, especially if the game stays close. Um, you know, who cares if you miss a cross and you're up for nothing, but if it's zero, zero and you're starting to, to feel the nerves and then you think I have to solve this. I haven't done anything. I'm going to go 17 yards out and get across. And you look like a drunken sailor trying to catch a butterfly. Um, so 
it, it's a drunken that, sailor it, trying to catch a butterfly. Another good analogy oh, that Americans need to be one. using. Another. See, try that one, Rebecca Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> so I like Greg. You just touched on something I never even thought about it, guys. I don't know if you've thought about it either, but um how a goalkeeper stays warm during the game. Because look, two things. I was the type of player, you know, you play, you get out there as a field player, you can play one touch to sort of get comfortable till you get your sweat going, till you get, you know, in the groove. Goalkeepers, man, you're just, you're standing there, you're cold. And the, all eyes are on you, either the uh, hero or the goat. But what were some of the techniques that you used to stay warm, Greg? Well, I would sometimes, I was, I was pretty good at staying attached to the team and turning, moving back and forth. But what I would do is just do a couple sprints. What I'd like to do is just run like a couple figure eights just so that all my muscles were warm. And then plus I was so nervous that I maintained a, a standard level of body. <laughs> body just sweating. Uh, <laughs> well, and plus you, well, you kind of you look like but, a nut. You kind of look like a nut sprinting when no one's around. It's like, does that look at that goalkeeper over there? But even that, right? That's the thing is you'll like people would ask me why you run. I said, well, because I'm freezing. Why, why the hell do you warm up before right. you go in? You know, and so you have to be comfortable enough that if someone does call you out on it, you have a reasonable explanation. Like it would be more likely, Greg, you didn't move. Well, I was freezing. Well, why don't you move around a little bit, blockhead? You wouldn't be as cold, you know? So, um, so is I think. A, is that a term you use with the kids all the time, blockhead? <laughs> <laughs> I know you used it with me a few times. So, all right, good stuff. Uh, Sam? Yeah, building off that, Greg, a little bit psychologically, I'm, you know, you hear often how people say goalies have to have a really short memory. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's the kind of thing you can teach, and if so, how you do that, or if that's just kind of an inherent trait that maybe leads some people to goalkeeping in the first place. Well, the, the psychology of it is, I find it is so interesting because everyone's like, oh, it's the hardest position. And I'm like, well, not really. You start with a zero and you want to end with a zero. How hard can it be? <laughs> right. Whereas the forward has to go find a goal and there's, you know, there's 11 guys who would prefer he didn't. So that I, I think you need to remove from the goalkeeper is that this job is you can really steer some of the um, responsibilities to your teammates. If you just stand back there, do nothing and your whole team wanders away and you wonder why you're getting counterattacked on. Well, that, that again comes with experience. Um, did I get off track there? Uh, you've never, but, you've never really been on yeah, track. Right? That's the thing. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll tell you this, Greg. When I when I was coaching little kids, um, uh, no one wanted to play goalkeeper. They would be devastated when a goal went in. Um, and uh, I came around and and uh, I said to the to the coach, I said, "Hey, you know, the keeper should distribute the ball out wide right or out wide left." They yeah. Should, put the ball down the center because these little kids would distribute it in the center and then it would all come slamming back on them, you know, they'd be a goal. And like just that simple though, cause like the coach wasn't a player, right. At all. This is one of these coaches from Jersey who, you know, like, Oh yeah, get out of there, get stuck in everybody. So uh, well, just that alone helped, you know, lower the goal ratio. Kevin, I made, we would play team handball with mm. all the, with the five and six year olds. So they're running around catching and throwing and I almost ended up having kids say, I'll go in, I'll go in for a half, I'll go in for a half. You have to take the fear away from the position and have them realize that this is, you know, there's nothing special to it. It's actually, you're allowed to pick the ball up, how, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and remove the novelty of it and just say, this is a fun thing. You know, you get to run out there, jump, catch the ball, throw it, kick it, do whatever you want. But so the parents send the, 
skill. Oh, you're not playing in goal today, are you, Kevin? It's like someone who's wonderful, either a kid's scared of dogs, walks into the park and yanks the kid off the ground when he sees a dog. The goal's not that tough, you know? I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm crazy. Well, you are crazy. We've, we've, we've said that in your <laughs> opening. So, all right. So uh, one more thing I wanted to talk yeah. about. I've talked about it with you before. Goalkeeping myths. Um, yeah. And one of the things you don't agree with, I think, is catching the ball at its highest point. What does that even mean, really? I think well, right? you'll, go, you'll go to camp. You'll go to a camp and they'll, they'll talk about catching crosses. Okay. And they'll say, catch the ball at its highest point. All right. So, Kevin, you're. Uh, okay, athlete. And, hey, and hey, but hey. I never really, <laughs> if I am catching a cross with my hands, I generally, I could hang on the rim in basketball. So that means I can probably catch it nine feet up, let's say. I am, I have never in my life played with anyone who can get their head nine feet high. So why in the world would I go at full stretch so that I am going to have my hands at full stretch, my elbows stretch, everything stretch. So if I misjudge it by an inch, it's going to hit my fingertips and fall behind me. Just catch the ball comfortably above your head. Your knees bent. I mean, your elbows bent so that you can catch it. If you're at full stretch, you'll, you'll probably, you could miss it. So oh, that again, is I mean, a, you say a like a, ba a baseball, like if you're catching a baseball again, to make another American sports analogy, <laughs> if you, if you're going to catch a baseball, catch the baseball, don't catch it at its highest point. It just doesn't make sense though. I must yes. counter your, your point there about nine feet. I, I don't know. It seems like Ronaldo could probably get up high enough where his head is catching that net. If it's a basketball court, right? I mean, that's nine feet. Uh, you got to, you know, you definitely have the advantage as a goalkeeper. And when a goalkeeper used to be basically uh, on the FBI's top 10 list of assaults, <laughs> you'd go in the box for a ball, they'd get everything but the ball, for God's sakes. Uh, you guys have the advantage. That's why I'm always surprised when they, they let the goalkeepers get away with so much. You know, they drop the ball. If someone touches you, it's out. You know, it's the goalkeeper gets the call. Yeah. Uh, it, it drives me nuts, Kevin. The, the, that's another one is, oh, raise your knee. And knee the guy. I'm like, I don't think he's allowed to do that. Why the hell would I be allowed to do that? Right. You know, they'd say jump in the air and you keep your knee up. First of all, whoever <laughs> jumps like that, I've never seen one jump like that in any other sport. Oh my God. Well, in the in college, the box with a goalkeeper, it was early, um, you know, mixed martial arts fighting was basically, it was like, wow, okay, he can kung fu kick me in the head. And, uh, but he's the goalkeeper. So I guess that's, uh, I guess that's allowed. Greil, you have another question? We yeah, gotta, yeah, we well, I, here, it, yeah, my question actually had to do exactly with this. So I want to pull that thread a little bit more, Greg. Yeah. Should the, there's a huge outcry against keepers having too much of an opportunity to freelance when they come out and, and put other and put uh, players in offensive players in danger by just doing whatever they need to do to get the ball. Well, I'm just curious, do changes need to be made to that rule? Do keepers need to be held more accountable for their actions? Yeah. And Grant, um, let yeah. me just interject there. Like Pickford with this, I mean, he just plowed into Van Dyke and blew out his ACL and like, wasn't really even near the ball. And it's like, well, it's a keeper going for the ball. It's like, I don't even yeah, think he got a yellow card. To be he honest. didn't get a yellow card. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was it was absurd. It would it have been clumsy. a bench clearing brawl if if they all yeah. weren't millionaires. Yeah, well, I I agree with you 100. There, there's a famous play where Harold Harold Schumacher pulverized Batistuta oh, yeah. well, in France. Yeah, and 
you know what? Uh, the interesting thing is no one from France ever went near the German goal again because he, he certainly made. But that there well, that's, has, there, that was that was rife with history right there. That one, I think. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> to draw an that, analogy, it was like Pete Rose running into Fosse in the All Star game, Flinny. Wow, there you go. Go well, ahead, Rebecca. I'll just Lowe. try to help Look you that out, one up. Try Look to that help one you. up, Rebecca. Great. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely forget his gambling. Rose should not be in the Hall of Fame because of gambling. He should not be in the, the Hall of Fame because of running over a guy in an all-star game. His career ended the next year. He had gone out to dinner with him the night before. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. the guy. That's the Play guy I run into anyway. When it's like uh all yeah. right. Well, Greg, but, what do you but, got? But, but, go ahead. But but back that thing you have a like i don't think it i always thought it was fair and generally you know we're playing soccer i know how much it hurts to get a knee in the back all right and right. I, I would do that and I, I would much rather catch a cross bang into kevin without anything pointy sticking him in the organs and then say hey sorry whoa, whoa, whoa. And, pointy and, organs easy easy there <laughs> The kids' family show. You're coaching kids, <laughs> poking you in the back with my organ. What is that about? <laughs> hey, we were roommates. <laughs> like the other one that used to drive me crazy is when the goalkeeper would come out and the the forwards embarrassed because he push pushed the ball too far in front of him and he slides into the goalkeeper. That's equally, and you see more of that at the youth level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the top level, it seems the other way around. Goalkeepers come out and they pulverize guys, and I'm like, that's a foul, man. If the if the forward came and did that to the goalkeeper, you know it would yeah. he'd get affected. But I, I'm completely right. in your camp on that. Good. All right. Well, the goalkeeping uh, has obviously changed because it's not what it was. I mean, they are protecting the field players a little bit more. I know a lot of traditionalists like Grail, maybe not Grail, but you know they a lot of things that weren't called as fouls classically when we were playing, you know, growing up are now called <laughs> to, to protect yeah. the the skilled players, obviously. And the goalkeepers don't have as much uh, latitude as they once had. And uh, mm -hmm. it's harder for them to make saves with the ball as it currently is. But I think we should continue to do that. That, you know, cut down on the goalkeeping stuff. Uh, they're, they're not, they're players. They're field players yeah. like any, anybody else. And then also on crosses and corner kicks in the box, uh, you know, quit letting everybody jam each other up, holding shirts, grabbing down. Just nobody, you know, it's like, should be like basketball in the, in the box. So. Yeah, you're spot on. Just call. All you have to do is, you know, all you have to do is call it. You, you show the picture and say, yeah. VAR, look, you have your arms wrapped around this guy. If you did this in the parking lot, you'd get arrested. What makes you possibly think you're allowed to do exactly. it in, on a court game? You yeah. know, it, it, I, it, it, it drives me nuts. You know. All right, so we gotta um, we gotta hop here, but uh, yeah, love having you on. Just one last quick question: yeah. Has it always been? Have you always been sort of? Uh, it must be really stuck in your craw that that uh, you know center midfielders got most of the women, um, classically in soccer. Goalkeepers generally, you know, they're kind of the nut <laughs> drinking alone in the corner. There. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's probably some truth to that because I'm time goalkeeper, and uh, they're not that interesting. As uh, their hygiene is way the off. Loners, they're the loners. loners. <laughs> smack their heads too much, and I always room with them, as I always say on over the ball here. All right, Greg Kenny, man, we appreciate you coming on. Love having you on every couple of weeks just to talk uh, just wild <laughs> ideas in soccer. Uh, you know, because like these guys, you're also a huge hockey fan. Uh, UMass yes. won the national championship. Uh, Sam and my nice alma mater. Plug. So uh, yeah, nice book there. And uh, we talked about it a little bit on the top of the show, but um, but thanks for uh, for you know. For you, you just your whole life has been keeping things out of the net. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 
So we appreciate well, it. Great. Katie. It is. It's wonderful. The jumping in the goal. Um, quick story. One of my high school buddies came up for a weekend to Penn State. And we on Sundays, we would play indoor. And uh, I don't know if I had to go shoelace broke or whatever it was. He goes, he goes, I was like, ah. I'm going to go stand in the goal. This is easy. And especially with these gloves you got, I'm like, all right, stand in there. See how it goes. And we had this Norwegian guy who I think was actually a Viking. Um, he <laughs> could kick the ball so hard. So he goes in the goal and oh, I just can't come dominating. Right. Guy cuts inside, puts it on his left foot and pulverizes it and hits one of those knuckleballs. Right. So this guy's first ever seen a knuckleball and second of all, has never seen a soccer ball moving this fast. Right. skims off the top of his head, hits the crossbar and hits the ceiling. <laughs> Guy's like, what am I doing in here? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know when I, when I was working for ESPN, I, one of my producers was like, Oh, let me, let me, let me get a shot. You know? And it's like, I hit a shot at him. I hit it well, uh, yeah. but nothing like that. None of us could still do today. Right. Like, you know, easily. Yeah. I, I hit it right at him, but it knuckled. And it hit him, hit him in the face. <laughs> and he chased me. He chased me. He was so pissed. He thought, like, like I go, what do you think? I like did it on purpose. I just hit a shot at you, man. And it just knuckled into your face. It's a, it's a tough game. So uh, all right, Greg Kenny, yeah. talking to us on over the ball. Uh, you keep up the good work uh, uh, with the college coaching and the coaching with the kids because you definitely uh, bring a lot of American experience to that goalkeeping position. And I want to talk about how come there's not more dominant goalkeepers, American goalkeepers out there right now, like there used to be, but that is for another day. That is for another, yes. another guest appearance on over the ball. Greg Kenny. Thanks so much for joining us, pal. All right. Thanks guys. Great chatting. Hey, remember to tweet us at over the ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right. So he's great uh, talking to Greg Kenny. I mean, uh, he's a lot of fun. He was a heck of a roommate too, guys. So I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Our yeah. listeners couldn't see it, but Greg was recording live from his, um, Dodge, his automobile Dodge yeah. caravan or his whatever. Dodge Dart. His, his <laughs> no, it looked, it looked pretty cool. It looked like a, it looked like a Tesla actually. So um, Sam, what, what did you think? Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. It's always fun having Greg um, just on a couple of the points. I mean, this is actually to your point, Kevin, about, you know, the references from other sports. And what I think is too bad is that in, in this country, when it happens, you know, people sort of put it under the umbrella of like, well, it's just because you don't know anything about soccer. You know, you have to use baseball to describe it, but uh, in my experience in Italy, people refer to other sports a lot there too. Mm -hmm. um, really? You know, there's, yeah. there's a famous, uh, I can't remember the coach, but there's a famous story about a guy who took a sabbatical one year, went to New Zealand, studied rugby for a year and came back and implemented all these strategies from rugby uh, on the knuckleball, as we call it. People talk about how that came from volleyball, which is mm -hmm. pretty big, the, you know, the serve, how you want to oh, hit right. it like that. Yeah. Um, and then goalkeeping coaches talk a lot about tennis and encourage their goalies to play tennis. So Greg um, Kenny does usually with the left to right. Movements. Yeah. So the, I, I don't think this is something that only we do in this country. So I, I don't think we, we need to be ashamed of it is, is what I'm saying. I think it's also I think it's also interesting that Greg Kenny, who you would think so many, you know, the keeper fraternity, whether it's soccer, hockey, whatever, they always kind of defend the practices of their craft and saying, mm -hmm. you know, we're maligned. People are beating up on us. And he actually is the opposite point of view. He thinks that goalies should be regulated more. Mm. 
Right. That is I thought it was interesting. Yeah. That's true. His point about why can one player on the field throw a knee into the back of somebody else? It's like, it's yeah. absurd. You know, well, just goalkeeping. You got to own the box. It's like, no, you don't. You, well, and he brought you know. up the Schumacher play, which if any of our listeners have not seen it, go to YouTube and watch one of the most heinous fouls in the history of soccer he i i think he ruined the guy's career basically i don't think the guy was ever the same so one more anecdote i I don't think i've ever told a umass anecdote on here but maybe i'm inspired by the hockey championship uh anyway you mentioned franz beckenbauer never being in the middle in 5v2 um we had one preseason marco semioli do you remember him oh yeah 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 he was helping out at preseason and uh someone asked him you know who was the best player you ever played 5v2 with and he said roberto donadoni when he was with the metro stars he said never in the middle even when it was his fault. Yeah, exactly. That was right. pretty good. Um, all right, so I got a little quiz for you guys this week. Um, it's actually going back to last week because we didn't have time, so it's fashion-based because we had Nigel on. So uh, looking a little bit at the history of jerseys or kits, mm, okay. um, I, I want to stress that I've not confirmed any of this, which all comes from the website historicalfootballkits.co.uk. Wow, there article. is a specific site. There's a site well, for everybody. I, I don't want to pass on any you know information that's not really my own. The article is titled A Brief History of Football Kit Design in England and Scotland. So the quiz is really based on the UK. Uh, which, you know, as okay. we know, likes to think that it did everything first soccer wise, but that <laughs> hey, may not hey, necessarily hey. be the case. So uh, anyway, if anyone wants to counter any of these claims, okay. I'm happy to hear it. So it's a little bit of a timeline. Uh, and okay. we'll start with the first jerseys, which appeared around 1870. First question, when was it made mandatory that a club have in a way jersey? So um, in 1870 was the first jersey. Yes. I'm going to say 1900. 1880. Uh, 1892. Uh, this was ultimately in response. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. In between. <laughs> this was uh, in response to a Sunderland Wolves match two years earlier in 1890 when both teams showed up wearing the same color. Let's just it took that many Sam. years. It that Sam. many years before they showed up with the same colors. Sam, let's assume assume the material was wool because in 1970, when I played for my school in England, the kits were made of wool. Probably. Yeah. Uh, okay. When were goalkeepers? We can tie this into Greg Kenny. Yeah. When were goalkeepers mandated to wear a different color than the rest of their team? I'm gonna so say what? 1923. Kevin. Wow. Uh, 1900s pulled that out of 1909 so we're moving along so i think i was closer we're right between each other (laughs) but i like a point of two better (laughs) when did numbers first appear on jerseys so i think this is sequentially what do you say that was 1909 sam 1909 yeah okay so i'm gonna go to 1920 1915 Okay, 1933, the FA Cup oh. final between Man City and Everton. So this is interesting. Everton's players were numbered 1 through 11, and Man City's shirts went from 12 to 22. And they weren't the same color. Don't think so. They got, uh, a, deal, they got a deal on the order. So that was 33. When did numbers become mandatory? I'm going to say 35. I'm going to say pretty soon after that. 38. 39. So yeah. yeah. Just, these are right just like all oh, guesses, like not even Close. ballpark. <laughs> you know. All right. When do we get the first replica kits being sold? This is a three-part question. What year do we get the first replica kits? 62. Replica. Uh, just, can you just quantify or uh, 
Oh, so like it's going to make a difference, Graham. No, 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 I'm just saying, what is a replica? I mean, the first like replica jerseys being sold. When did they start selling jerseys to the public? Oh, I, I, I got you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to no, say right around the World Cup. I'm going to say 66. Okay, it's actually 1973. What's up? Tell me what team it was. Brazil. I'm going to say Germany. Well, remember, this is, you know, UK based. Oh, I'm, oh, oh so, so, so I'm sorry. It's a club team. It's a club team. Man then United. I'm go with Liverpool. Okay, it's Leeds United. Leeds, Leeds United. Effing Leeds. Leeds. <laughs> Final part of this question: What was the brand that made those jerseys? Admiral. Admiral, I'd say Umbro. Admiral, correct. Well, done. I remember. Leeds he knew. He knew. Admiral. That was I the one it. thing he knew. He was showing it. off with that one. Yeah, I do. That's all you all wore right. growing up back then. By the way, Sam, just as a quick aside, Leeds also wore numbers on their number tags on their socks. Hmm. That's cool. Yes. Um, when did the wow. first sponsor ads appear on jerseys? Oh wow, oh, that's, that was later. That's in the. That's in the. I'm going to say 85. that's in late 80s, 80, 80, 80, 88, 89, 85. OK, it's actually 76, only three years after. So oh, Kettering wow. Town in England had a Kettering Tires logo on the front. Quick note on this. Uh, teams in Germany had ads three years prior. So okay. again, we're just UK. Were so, that's just good. Good. Yeah. Oh, so that's this is interesting. So, so here is that's Kevin, probably why you say 80s, because initially the BBC and ITV refused to televise any games with uh, sponsors on their jerseys. So teams, getting money. <laughs> so teams would only wear the sponsor kits for non-televised games. Uh, that was until 1983. Well, here's the thing, because I remember Barcelona used to be UNICEF on the front of their they jerseys. Did. And it was, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that was gratis. Uh, and that paved the way to say, like, okay, so things are okay on your because it's sort of a nonprofit. And yeah. then all of a sudden it moved very quickly into profit because people yeah. saw it just like naming stadium rights, it suddenly becomes like, whoa, money to be made there. Yeah. Uh, this is again goes back to the my point about the women. Money, it's all about money all the time. All right, Everybody. last question. When did we get names on the backs of the jerseys? So was the last one 88, Sam? What was the... So 76 was the first oh, ad. 83 was when the BBC and ITV allowed so them I'm to So I'm going to say 88. Names in the back mid-80s. I'm just like 85. 88. Okay. It's actually 92, which unsurprisingly oh, coincides late, with the launch of the Premier League. Yeah. yeah. The, the That's excellent, Sam. Great stuff. Well, some good stuff. Again, there, not, not confirmed, but walk you down know. walk down memory lane there. God, yeah. hey, Grail, how many ad dollars does that website have? My God, that's well, a very specific specialized website. Well, also, and then of course, once once they started selling replica jerseys, the whole merchandising side of soccer just exploded. Right. Yeah, there's right. a lot of other uh, interesting little nuggets yeah. in this. Another one is that a lot of teams switched to white jerseys once games were played under the lights because they were so shiny and bright. They looked really yeah. good, and uh, yeah, some cool stuff. I right. recommend. Well, people. I think it gets out of hand sometimes with these canary yellow <laughs> ones, and like, well, and you also know, you just, just a team wearing a certain uniform. Well, Sam, you also else. brought up this point many times. Is like. Back in the day, I it, Chelsea was blue at home and yellow away, and you right. knew that. You knew who to look for. Yeah, it's just mass confusion now because you have no idea what colors are. So other than no the home kit, right? No clue. Yeah. yeah. All right, so guys, uh, what what are we watching this weekend? Guys, games. Uh, I got a couple of Serie A games to yeah. recommend. Atalanta Juve Sunday at 9 a.m. That's ESPN Plus. Napoli Inter 
Sunday afternoon at 2.45 ESPN Plus. You can watch and decide for yourself if Inter Napoli Inter. are Napoli boring Inter. or not. I'm going to watch, okay. uh, actually, Friday is the game I'm most interested in. Everton and Spurs, just from a, a standpoint yeah. of, I think Ancelotti is taking a team in one direction, and Mourinho, as predicted after, in year three, is taking a team in another direction. And the big question is, do Kane and Mourinho survive, or do they stay, I should say, after this season? Or do both of them leave? Yeah. Or do both of them leave? I mean, it's they'd have a lot of takers for Harry Kane. Because, you know, uh, and I don't know how many for Mourinho, because again, he's, you know, he said they asked about results and he says, oh, same coach, different players. So meaning, <laughs> why did I win last time? It's unbelievable. So, and apparently it pissed off the locker room, which is understandable. So, yes. All right. Well, this is a happy locker room right here. Us, uh, the three of us. I have the biggest locker. What does that even mean? Well, <laughs> well, I'm not even going to touch that. With, that's, that's with, like a, yeah, that's like your, a, something phallic. Three-inch pole. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, everybody. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Greg Kenny, goalkeeper, uh, philosopher, um, entrepreneur, thinker outside the box, uh, as well as Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.